the growth tactics that helped Craftsy sell $50 million worth of online courses with John Levesay, episode 73, let's do it. Welcome to the Rebel Growth Podcast. I am Borja Beso, and every week I bring you step-by-step growth and only marketing strategies that you can actually implement in your business to see some results. It's my pleasure to have you here, and let's start with another episode now. Hey, what's up, amigos? Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you choosing to listen to my podcast when there's a thousand of podcasts out there on iTunes. I am back after a two-week honeymoon, awesome trip. I went to Austria and Italy. I did a uh, motorcycle trip. Absolutely amazing. It was a little stressful having to prepare the two the, the episodes for the last two weeks. I had to record them in advance, and I don't usually do it that way. I simply record the introduction and the, and the outro to the interviews two you know one or two days before. The episode actually goes live, but this time I had to record record everything two weeks before the episodes, and I don't really do it that way. I had to plan my days so that I could prepare all you know the episodes and the show notes to go live at the time that they usually do. Now for today's show, I have with me John Levesay, the CEO and founder of Craftsy, a company that Profits from creating and selling online courses. And they made $50 million last year. They have about a 1,000 uh, online courses in the arts and crafts space. You're going to learn from John how they used different growth tactics early on to be able to grow the company up to that point while being under the pressure of joint you know, venture capitals. They had to answer to their investors and, and you know, grow and show show results. So without any further ado, let's jump right into the interview with John Levesay about how they grew Crafty to a $50 million a year company. Hello everyone, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here. For today's episode, I have with me John Levesay from Crafty, a company that provides online education in the arts and craft spaces and creative creative areas, but I let I will let John tell you more about it. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my um, pleasure. So why, why don't you start by telling me and the audience a little bit, a little bit about how it is that you got um, you know, started with Crafty, or more specifically, what was it that you were doing exactly before you started Crafty? Sure. Um, so you know, before Crafty, I, I had worked for, for eBay for about seven years. Uh, from 99 to 2006, um, and then was working for a, a company called, uh, what was then called Service Magic, is now called Home Advisor, which was a marketplace for matching homeowners with contractors. Um, and so, you know, had been in the internet space, uh, you know, for, for quite some time. Um, and you know, how my co-founders and I decided to found Craftsy was we felt like there, there was an interesting confluence of technology and, and societal need. Um, you know, the promise of online education has been bounced around now for quite some time, but we felt like the 
um, instantiations of, of online education were subpar. You, you had either um, a PowerPoint with a voiceover or a, um, you know, a, a single camera from the back of a classroom, which really kind of gave a, a second-class experience and, and didn't drive learning outcomes that came anywhere near uh, what you could get from a live classroom. Um, from a societal need perspective, everyone's, uh, you know, busier than ever, and it's very difficult to gain access to, to great instruction um, and carve out the time in, in your local uh, area. And so we, we wanted to take online education to the next level, um, both from a production quality perspective, a instructor quality perspective, and from a platform viewpoint. So we, we built what we consider to be a best-in-class educational platform, which allows for asynchronous consumption of content with the feeling that you're, you're in a live classroom. You can ask the instructor questions. You can interact with fellow students. Um, we never endeavored to kind of democratize the supply side of the equation. In other words, there's a lot of you know, successful companies out there and good models where the platform's built and it's under the notion of anyone can be an instructor if given a platform. What we wanted to do is democratize access to the best instructors in the world and have consistent um, production quality and a great platform. So we started in 2010. Um, we started building the platform, and by 2011, we launched our first few classes. Um, and so that's kind of how we got started. Um, you know, we saw early traction in, in categories that, that were where video truly added something above and beyond what an audio lecture or a book could do. And, um, you know, video brings a lot of great um, advantages, um, particularly in the how-to maker, hobbyist, arts and crafts space because you can see the angles so much better than you even could in a live classroom. Um, so that's where we kind of, as we headed into our second year in 2011, that's where we really um, began to focus and, and Craftsy came to be as it, as it currently is today. Um, we've, you know, our earliest classes were in quilting and knitting and sewing. Um, we, we've added 13 additional categories so that we're, now currently in 16 vertical categories with over a thousand classes available. Um, and, you know, classes if, if for listeners who haven't seen the platform are typically a little over two hours long, divided into 15 to 20 minute lessons. Um, once you buy a class, you own it forever. Um, and as I mentioned, you have access to the instructor, um, yeah, that's kind of who we are and what we do. Um, we had a another epiphany in 2012 where our students were asking for the materials that could be used uh, in the classes. So we also began selling physical products. Wow, interesting. Uh, um, we'll get to that in just a second because I think that's, that's, that's a cool indicator of pivoting or 
um, you know, opening up growth opportunities and identifying them. Um, but I have a quick question: how many how many people did you have in your team when you first started, or how many founders were you or are you? So initial our initial founding team we we started with five with five people. And and were any of you uh, production experts, or did you have to hire experts to handle that? Uh, that would, in retrospect, that was the uh, the biggest hole in the founding team. Mm-hmm. Um, it was our first hire um, was a was a, a woman named Emily Lawrence who who, who uh, started and still runs our what we call our content and education and production teams. Oh, and, and Emily came from both a. Um, academic background as well as a production background so she brought both uh you know kind of vectors of experience to the team on how to produce content at scale great and just so we get so we give uh, the audience a little bit a little uh, understanding of how big the company actually is would you mind sharing how much revenue the company generated last year yeah so um we have about 230 employees right now. Last year, we generated uh, in the neighborhood of, you know, getting close $55 million, uh, in revenue. Well, that's amazing. That's a pretty good, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty big company for sure. And uh, with, with so many verticals, I can imagine how, how difficult it must be to handle, uh, you know, all the processes and systems. Yeah, it's it, it's a there's a decent amount of organizational complexity here. I mean, in many ways, we are a, we're a scale video producer. We're producing thousands of hours of finished content a year. Um, we're also a you know um, there's a big technology infrastructure that has to go into uh, streaming long form content to where it's available in 180 countries. Um, we um, also have a pretty robust data science layer that um, you know recommends cl- a recommendation engine that informs our, our marketing actions as well as makes the customer experience better. We also have a you know a large e-commerce team that is procuring product for sale. Um, yeah, so we're. We're an e-commerce company, a media company, and a technology company. So you're right. There's a lot of uh, who's in multiple categories. So, so um, I have a I have a fascination or something that I found find very interesting about companies that have to deal with so much segmentation, that market to so many verticals or so so many niches. I don't. There's something I found I find very interesting about it. Um, so what what would you say is the most profitable category the one that drives more most revenue for for the company so i would say our part of it is just a um as far as our revenue mix goes it's a it's a longevity in the category because as you can imagine um over the longer you're in a category the more customers you build up uh the bigger catalog you have of of products for sale of classes for sale, if you will. So 
our top four categories are quilting, knitting, sewing, and cake decorating, um, because those were our first four. Um, I would say um, fast, fast growing and catching up rapidly would be uh, cooking and baking, painting and drawing, uh, and jewelry making are all uh, you know, quickly becoming very big categories for us as well. Right, right. Makes sense because you've been generating the most um, boss in those categories. So that's why they probably are the biggest one for you. Exactly. And so what's what's is there one particular class that's like the best one, the one that the most the most popular one? Sure. I mean in general I, I would say we're we're not we're not like the record industry or the film industry where you're a you're a hit driven business um, and you rely on on hits. We you know we, we, we do a lot of uh, research before we make a class uh, to make sure it, it touches on a content area that our users want or it features an instructor, a technique, or an aesthetic that is interesting to students within that vertical. So um, we're pretty consistent with, with the performance of our classes. That said, there's always going to be some that, that, for whatever reason, resonate extremely well. We have a We have a class uh, called Quilting Big Projects on a Small Machine um, that, that is, is our number one class of all time. Um, it is a, not to get into the weeds on quilting, but um, you know, there's a lot that goes into making a quilt. Uh, the finishing process, um, historically, a lot of people would send their quilt away to be done on a large uh, machine. Um, and this class shows people how, how they can finish their quilt and you know, sew the three layers together on a, on a home sewing machine. So it, it fit a real need and it, it, it just really, really struck a tone with our customers. And that would be our number one class of all time. It's, it's done over a million dollars. Well, and when did you create that class? That class is probably three and a half years old. And it still, it still drives customers every day like it used to? It sells every day. Oh, amazing, uh, amazing. Yeah. And how much does it cost to produce a course on average? So it, it, it largely depends um, on the category. Um, obviously, an outdoor photography class is going to be more expensive if you have to travel to, uh, you know, you have travel, you're shooting outside, uh, in which case you have to deal with we you know, weather, Um, you know, typically, you know, our production costs are, are quite, are quite low. Um, we, you know, we can, we can produce a class, um, we, we don't disclose exact numbers, but let's just say typically we, a class is paid back within the first quarter of being live. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly quick Uh, fairly quick return on on investment. Um, you know, if you look at it from a product perspective, usually a company would take ten to twelve months to get their money back on 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 a similar investment. Um, having said that, 
how much do you pay instructors? Is that something you can disclose? So, on average, yeah, on average, um, instructors typically, uh, because of the ongoing participation of the instructor in the class, um, we, we we structure the compensation for instructors on a variable comp basis. So typically an instructor will make 10 to 12% of, of, of net revenue after credit card and PayPal fees. Um, so some instructors prefer to, you know, take a bigger advance and a lower revenue share. Others, um, you know, bank on the success of the class and take a, a higher revenue share, lower advance. And for those that, that choose to have a lower, uh, higher advanced, how may, how much do you usually, on average, pay uh, in advance? It, it, it depends. Um, we, we don't disclose that either. That's kind of a, a, a you know negotiation or or an agreement with the instructors. But it it, it can range. It can range from zero to well into the thousands. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I, um, I will. I would think it, it'd be like that. Makes sense. You know, so many instructors, so many categories, and so many different interests for each one of the instructors. You you have to have a flexible payment plan. Exactly. Yeah. And notice you have do you have an internal chat system? You mentioned that you enable customers to chat with instructors so that they have. Um, a feel like, so so that it feels like it was a live class, and how do you get instructors to be and stay active with clients? Is that part of the contract? It's part of the contract, and it's also part of the um, you, you know we've built a pretty elegant system. So um, if you're at two minutes forty two seconds into lecture three of a of a painting class, for example. And you have a question where, where you want to ask a question. doesn't matter what time of day you're watching it. You just hit the ask question button and ask that question. That question is then tagged to 2 minutes 42 seconds into lecture 3. Um, the instructor then gets a, you know, a message in an inbox um, that they check daily um, or every other day and then they answer the question you get a direct message back answering your question but that q a now lives at two minutes 42 seconds in lecture three so that anyone who subsequently watches the class sees that q a animate alongside the video player they can it may be the exact same question they had and it may be answered um, or they may have a you know a, an offshoot of that question where they can jump into that discussion string so it's it's really contextually relevant q a as opposed to just an adjunct message board um and the instructors are, are this is their passion this is their their livelihood they know that if they participate and engage with students uh the students will you know they'll get great word of mouth on their class and then they'll sell more and when they come out with their next class uh students will buy that so there's a really virtuous cycle there of the instructor participation. Okay, I want to I, I want to get into what the audience right now is hungry to hear about, and that's the marketing. What's the marketing effort or strategy that drives 
the most revenue or the, the highest growth? So obviously there's channel differentiations uh, between categories. So um, this is back to your earlier point about the, the nuance of being in, in subcategories with different audiences. So photographers read very different um, publications. They visit different blogs than cooks. There may be some crossover, but largely um, there's specific channels that resonate uh, with different um, categories better than others. But largely, I would say, if you if you segmented the world into um, you know social, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook um, are all what we call our social channels, where we we built followings. Um, that universally uh, does does well across our categories. We also have um, a, a you know, very good organic um, traffic from articles and uh, content we've put out that continues to grow. We also have a paid search team that is out there, by, you know, bidding against search terms. Um, we have large partners. Who, who may not have an online educational offering, but know their customers are very anxious to engage in them. And it's a, you know, we're partners with Joanne Fabric, with Sir Latab in the cooking space, uh, you, you know, King Arthur Flower in the, in the baking space. And these are companies where we, we essentially act as their de facto online classroom and they market on our behalf. And we have those partnerships across uh, all of our categories. And then we, of course, have what we call lifecycle email marketing for, for registered users that we're sending um, you know, emails out uh, to these different um, segments and categories. Yeah, I was, that's what, what I was going to ask ne next. Having so many traffic and visitor sources, um, I imagine you would have some sort of funnel, you know, to channel visitors into becoming subscribers and eventually customers or, or going into customers, uh, you know, at once. Um, what's one strategy that you use to, to turn visitors into email subscribers? Yeah, so, I mean, you're exactly right on the, the, the kind of funnel um, statement. So, you know, we get a lot of folks that register for the site that may not have made a purchase on day one. Mm -hmm. So people may register for a free class. Uh, they may register to download a pattern or an e-guide or an article. So obviously at the top of the funnel, um, you have hundreds of thousands of people a month registering for the site. Uh, depending what source those members come from, um, what category they're in, and, and that would dictate, say, the first one through ten emails they get. Um, if you came in to download a recipe for, for you know, for, for a, uh, some culinary dish and you came from a marketing action with one of our cooking partners, we would assume you're, you're cooking interested. Um, 
and therefore your your sequence of initial emails um, would be you know a making sure you understand kind of what Craftsy offers from a physical product and an educational perspective, and you know kind of reinforcing value proposition of the company, um, and, and and then choosing products. Um, that, that would be appealing to that person for sale and then marketing those products um, over time via email and, and, and also being able to do the same thing if you're also in one of our Facebook clubs and you registered, being able to do Facebook custom audiences to show you relevant content through Facebook as well. Right. Um, how many email subscribers, um, what percentage would you say becomes customers on, let's say, a monthly basis? So typically, you would see about, um, you know, once again, it varies by category, but, you know, we target probably 20% of people over time who have registered to ultimately become buyers. That's a pretty that's a pretty high number. Yeah, I mean that's the that's where we target. I mean, you, there's months and there's seasonality involved. Right. You know, November December are a much higher percentage of activation uh, to purchase. Uh, but you you could you could say we, you know, twelve to fifteen percent um, to ultimately buy something of of registrations. Is a is a number that we we try and, and stay around. And how many marketing emails? How many emails do you send every week to to your subscribers? So we've got about eleven million um, registered users um, across various <laughs> categories. So you know, and then. You know, no one will receive more than four emails a week. Um, sometimes it's less. Um, but variations of that email based on customers. So we may send just to quilting audience on a Wednesday when we do an email send, we may have 40 different versions of that email depending where people are in the funnel. Right. Make, makes total sense because you're you're not gonna send maybe a super pushy email to someone who who has been getting your emails for a while or or perhaps you're gonna send content to people who who are very new to the company very new to the brand and are starting to get like educated into what it is that you have to offer and all that it makes total sense exactly yeah and go, going back to your early earlier days. How many classes did you launch with? We launched, initial launch, we had five classes. Five classes? Yeah. All in the same category? Nope, across, across different categories. Oh, okay, okay. And how long did it take you to build the platform before you launched? We had a workable platform. We started in May of 2010, and we launched uh, in November of 2010. Okay, so it did take you a little while, but it's reasonable. Um, and going back 
uh, going back to the marketing that you use in those days, is there a specific strategy that you were focusing the most when you launched the first year? Yeah, I mean, I think initially we were, you know, we wanted to prove three things that, that, um, a, that we had a platform that would resonate with people, B, that people would pay for content, um, and C, that we could produce, you know, quality content, that people would like it. And, you know, initially we started, Facebook was a, was a really good um, avenue, um, and then forming some of these partnerships uh, in vertical categories was was kind of the second second tactic there. And when you say uh, partnerships, do you mean like joint ventures with bloggers? Uh, partially, I mean a lot of whether they're bloggers or publishers or um, retailers, um, they have very large traffic. And, but, but maybe not a great way to, to monetize that traffic. Right. So, yes, people who had big audiences but were just um, were under-monetizing their, uh, their traffic. And what, what kind of action would you be looking to, to get from those people? Like um, publish an advertisement on their blog or constantly be promoting the company or what, what sort of thing were, were you expecting to get out, out of them? So I think more so than, than ad units, we, we really want to have partners in content marketing. Right. In other words, um, you know, one of our early partners um, had a very good editorial reputation in the quilting space. So we essentially allowed their editors to choose a class every other week uh, and review it and then send out an email to their users saying, here's a class that I just took on Craftsy. Here's what it covers. Here's what's great about it. Here's what I wish they had done differently, etc." And then have a link with an offer to buy that class. Um, and then, you know, that deal could be structured either on a, a CPM basis uh, where we paid them to send that on a, or to do the reviews on a cost per thousand members who would get the email or a revenue share basis on what, what sold. I love it. I love the concept. It's, that's Outreach 101. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when you were um, you mentioned that you were creating content, would you try to get these bloggers to get to create content for you guys? Um, yes and yes. So we we've, we've um, some bloggers who are actually really into the hobby and and great, and we've brought them on to be teachers. Um, you know, a lot of authors and bloggers. Um, are amazing content experts, but they, they may not have expertise in video production, digital marketing, or technical platform construction. So giving them a, an avenue to monetize their expertise by being a teacher uh, and letting us do the, the video production, digital marketing, and host the, 
content was 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 a great was great for them. Um, we've also had bloggers um, and partners submit articles for our blog as well. Yeah, and uh, I imagine you would have your your own in-house writers, and, you know, and content creators. We we do. We we have um, we have kind of a mix of of, of freelance. Uh, guest bloggers and in-house um, writers and editors. Right, because I, um, I, I can see how it, it would be important to have a mix because creating things like maybe, let's say, on the cake decorating, you know, having your own blogger create a cake in your offices and then, you know, film it and or take picture of it and the pictures of it and then write about it, it's much more difficult than having someone who does it every week, you know, on their own blog and, and just take maybe some time to do it for you guys or have a freelancer do it for you guys, it would be much easier. Yeah, so with regard to text-based content, we do. We, we have freelancers um, do some of that, guest contributors. But when it comes to the classes um, themselves, we really felt like that was critical to, to control that process. So we fly instructors in, but we use our, our instructional designers, our directors, our producers, our editors for that. And, um, you know, having created so much content in all of the different categories that you're involved with, I would imagine that it's harder now to, you know, grow from search traffic than it would be from you know, than than it would be from growing from, from paid advertising. So, uh, do you mind repeating that? Yeah, like um, having created so much content, would yes. you say that it's easier to grow on a month by month basis from paid advertising than it is from search traffic? Um. Depends on the category. So, with regard to education, um, and it's one of the tough things about the business is there's not a lot of search intent. So, um, people don't necessarily wake up in the morning and say, "Gosh, today's the day. I want to take a class on making my own pasta." Um, they need to see that in a contextually relevant setting, understand the benefits of, of doing it, uh, connect the dots that, wow, I can do that, and then, and then purchase. So there's paid advertising and, and organic uh, discovery work very well for education side. On the physical product side, though, those are, those are you know, if you look at fabric or yarn, those are, you know, billion-dollar industries with, with, um, you know, people often know they they need yarn for something. Then there's a lot of search, and so in that case, um, search-based paid traffic uh, does does well on the physical product side. Right, makes total sense. And uh, between you mentioned that you were leveraging. Google advertising, Facebook ads, and Pinterest. Is there one platform that you would say drives seeing more more traffic or more customers than the other? 
Well, I think because of, once again, the longevity of how long we've been doing it, Facebook would be our number one, um, you know, social channel. You know, the, the Pinterest and Instagram, the ability to scale advertising and to drive conversion is still a little behind where, where Facebook is. Yeah, makes sense. So if you had to start from scratch today in 2016, what would you do differently? Probably, um, I don't know how long you have, but that would take me about a week. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of things. I mean, you, 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 it's one of the beautiful things about, um, you know, growing a business is you, you, you learn from your mistakes. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's critical in, in, in any kind of marketing is striking the right balance between um, a brand message and re truly building affinity with your, with your brand and optimizing revenue in the short term. And um, I, I think something we're, we're focused on this year, um, and it's probably long overdue, is, is um, not necessarily optimizing every email for revenue, mm -hmm. but um, you know, really focusing on how, how do we become part of our, our members' um, mindset, loyalty, and real brand affinity? Yeah. And, and that, that's a tough thing to do, and it's particularly tough when you're um, in a lot of categories. Yep. So what are the pillars of, of, of brand, and how do you articulate those on a recurrent, multi-channel um, you know, in a recurrent and multi-channel manner. It's a hard problem to solve, but it's something uh, I think we're, we're getting a lot better at and know a lot more than we knew four or five years ago. Right. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you had different sort of clubs on Facebook for, yeah. all, for every of your categories. I remember a while back uh, seeing some of these clubs and I noticed that they weren't branded. Uh, like the profile picture wasn't your logo or the cover page and, and you didn't really emphasize that you were crafty. But I've noticed that that, that has changed ever since in the last couple of months. Is that in line with what you're saying? Um, well, I, I do think um, the notion, like if you look at um, Quilting Club, um, I notice we do now have a logo there. Um, it's still, yeah, it's somewhat in line with that, but we also, I think, still want um, our members of the clubs there to feel like it's their club. Right. And so... Like not necessarily not, a company that's pushing them or something. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I understand that concept. Okay, so... what. When we were talking about 
you know, what would you do differently today? Um, is, is there one strategy that you would focus your time the most if you had to start all over again, like for acquiring customers? Um, I don't know if there's a single one. I mean, I, I, I think the, um, in, in a broader sense, it has to do with um, controlled, controlled growth versus, um, versus anytime you take venture capital money, there's an enormous pressure to grow rapidly. Mm-hmm. And um, when you grow rapidly, um, I think there's there's inherent um, challenges with scaling your operations to handle that growth efficiently, both in spend and in customer management. Um, and I think, um, you know, really, really figuring out a balance of um, making sure your registration f- to buy or funnel is very tuned before you, um, spend a lot of money at the top of the funnel filling it uh, is important and um, because it it has long-term implications to lifetime value of those customers as to how you onboard them manage them and and migrate them to to not only first-time buyers but recurrent buyers and so in, in retrospect I think um Probably, you know, managing growth a little more methodically and making sure that all the echelons of that funnel are tuned b- before trying to fill it too much. You know, it, it sounds like a weird thing to say. I might have grown a little slower. <laughs> right. <laughs> but <laughs> that's. I mean, that's a, a good indicator of things going right you know that's a good problem to have i would say <laughs> yeah true true well john and any place you want to send people to stay connected with you or with a company any specific place you would want people to go yeah i mean i think a lot of this comes down to you know i i we founded the company because i i personally and and i think my co-founders would all concur Felt like we were kind of fed up with with what was being offered to us through mainstream media, and got tired of watching uh, TV. That afterwards, I just I, I felt dumber for the experience. Um, and I would just encourage anyone to go to Craftsy.com and look at categories they're interested in, register. Um, and take a class and that it's, it's just amazing. You know, I've taken at least 20 of our cooking classes um, and, and probably as many of our cake decorating classes, my, my daughter and I decorate the cakes and it just, it's just really amazing. I mean, um, 
you know, you look at companies like Rosetta Stone who are out there selling the dream of, of speaking a second language, and it's hard to learn a language <laughs> from DVDs. Um, <clears throat> it takes years and, and immersive, um, but you can learn um, in an hour and a half, you can learn something in, the, in cooking or photography that will, will literally change the way you you kind of cook or, or take photos for the rest of your life. So um, I, I, I really just think this notion of lifelong learning um, and, and really carving out the time. And, and we consider our content to be edutainment. It's not, it's, it's not kind of pedantic, um, you know, classroom work. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And um, being able to develop these skills, and it's, it's, really, it's really validating personally and a good use of time. So I have no specific place to send anyone other than to say, come check us out um, and, and, and sign up and take a class. Wonderful. Well, John, thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you so much for, for sharing uh, all the value information that you, you share with us, being so open with your numbers. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it on behalf of our customer, of our audience and listeners. Um, I really hope to have you again in the future. Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. And uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. All right, bye. Okay, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that interview with John. I hope you took a lot of notes. If you have any questions, head over to rebelgrowth.com forward slash episode 73 or leave a comment on Twitter, leave a tweet, tag me at Borhefad. Let me know what you thought. Reply to my emails. You know what to do. Please, if you can do something right now, head on over to iTunes and leave a comment, leave a review, and let me know what you think of uh, the show. That's the best way for growing my podcast and climbing up the charts, I would really appreciate it. So until next week, guys, go out, implement, and keep on growing.